Iowa's News Now Sports has your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks, sponsored by University of Iowa Healthcare. Welcome to our final 2023 edition of Eye on the Hawks, the Winter Storm Warning Caucus Preview Edition of the podcast. Thanks for everybody for joining up here. We'll try to focus on football more than the other stuff as much <laughs> as we can. Mitch Fick, ONC, bring Mike Howell here. Putting a bow on 23 and starting to look ahead to 24 again for everybody who first hopped on this ride back in August. Thanks so much for all of it. We're over 400 followers on Twitter now, which is awesome. That's Eye on the Hawks there on that platform. Go to Iowa's News Now's YouTube page or uh, Instagram page to follow everything else. Again, if you're watching here on YouTube, thanks so much. The The visuals really help us use what I, I feel like is some of our strengths here on the news side of things, getting to use our highlights, sound bites, and things like that. So thanks to everybody who's been here. Uh, we'll get to your guys' experience in Orlando and flush that as quick as we can, maybe some <laughs> quick reflections a week removed from the, the Citrus Bowl loss, but we'll focus on the positives here a week away out. Uh, just in the last 48 hours, two more Hawkeyes jumping in. Still need to hear officially from Nick Jackson, but uh, Scott Docterman leading with the reports that he will return in 24. Again, he's only been a part of the program like four or five months maybe. So Nick Jackson is back. Sebastian Castro announcing on Saturday that he'll run it back. And of course, Jamari Harris, Luke Lachey, and Jay Higgins, Jay and Luke both announcing uh, during bowl prep that they would be back. But that is a look at where we are so far. Your initial reactions we went through before the bowl game. Uh, I think we were on the same page with all five of these guys that we were hopeful they would be back and, and leaning mm-hmm. that way. And well, as long as we don't talk about Cooper yet, then yeah, we're five for five. Look at us go. Yeah, no, no surprise really on who's returning. I think we even during our prediction time said that Cooper would be a bit of a bit of a long shot. We were hopeful, but um, you know, and maybe I'm still holding out hope a little bit that he's going to come back. You know what? I changed my mind. Who needs the NFL now? Oh. We can wait. I think Nick Jackson was a little bit the biggest surprise, at least. Well, because he didn't know. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, I remember, I think it was Leistico was asking him at that that post-Citrus Bowl practice. He's like, a week ago, I thought I was done, and now I'm not. And I, I've been told by people who have talked to people that I, I all trust that even the coaches were kind of surprised that Nick decided to come back. I think just because maybe he was so far in his process of being out the door and not thinking this was a possibility. Like, what what a pleasant, stunning surprise. And, yeah, pretty awesome to see. I think we all at the end said, like, well, if he applied for it, so why wouldn't he use it? Sure. At the same yeah. time, he's 23. He, I just read in Lysko's article, he turned 23 this weekend, mm. and then he made that decision. So Jamari Harris turned 23 what, like, before non-con was over. I oh, think really? I didn't know he was Yeah, because it was his oh. birthday. Remember, he was at, oh, at that yeah. presser, and he, right. he was 23. So, yeah, that's, I mean... Hey, a lot of people are 23 and they're fun a year at college, guys. Let's I, just maybe, let's just take it easy. <laughs> I would still go back. <laughs> <laughs> I forget who it was that posted it. It might have been Ike Holt or somebody of that nature. But they said that Nick Jackson is, I think, like 117 tackles from becoming the NCAA's all-time leader. Like something 13 like or that. 14, something like that. I've, yeah. I've seen a few numbers. It was like 117 that. I read it earlier this morning, yeah. I, I also forgot who posted it. But, but yeah, <laughs> when, you, when you post four straight years of 100-plus tackles, yeah. Like, how incredible is that? And that's and super, yeah. super doable, obviously, yeah. if you're Nick Jackson. I mean, uh, as we've spoken of many times, it took him a lot, little while this year to get comfortable, feel like himself maybe in that system, but he's going to come in next year, you know, fully comfortable in Phil Parker's system and should be getting, you know, close to double-digit tackles, I'd imagine, every game. I still remember asking about, I think it was maybe pre-Penn State, asking about having to spend the first two, three games of his Hawkeye career 
in pass pro so much and just the, the eye roll that came from him just already <laughs> tired of it so yeah he could have racked up a few more tackles had they played maybe some some more run heavy things but I, Nick Jackson's number is doing just fine and I think a lot of people excited about him getting back so we'll hear from Nick in a little bit I had talked to him and we all talked to him uh, before the Big Ten title game and, and he reflected on his time but still a couple decisions to wait on uh, the big one right now is Quinn Schulte uh, who I I can't help but think he'll come back, mm. uh, but he he's still out there. I wouldn't be shocked if we find out his decision today. Yeah. It feels like we've yeah. got one every single day. Uh, again, academic All Big Ten finally made uh, All Big Ten uh, honorable mention this year. Eric Gall, I get the the feeling seems to be that he's done, and I think we kind of agreed with that as well. Uh, Tyler Barnes put out a tweet yesterday or two days ago yeah here it was uh Lachey Higgins Harris Castro and Jackson all coming back just waiting <laughs> on one more yeah. which would tell me Quinn's the one they're waiting on the vibe uh, you get is that all's not the wanted more sure yeah, Quinn. yeah. Uh, which it's tough never Again, know for it, certain but in a, in a year full of injuries Eric really flashed a, a bunch leading receiver for Iowa um with just under 300 yards receiving but well, he, you saw the potential there, and I wonder if, if the injury history at Michigan and then getting so banged up this year at Wisconsin, if, if that plays into yeah. him, just, hey, you know, let's get up and go. But, hey, while he was in black and gold, he, he certainly showed I feel, he, he can be an NFL guy. I feel like even down in Florida, Mike and I just kind of hearing some of the rumors about, you know, who's going, who's staying, um, not even from a team source or anything, but just from some other reporters, could kind of heard that Eric All is probably not going to be coming back. I think we heard that maybe he's training with some of the same – NFL uh, preparation people as uh, Logan Logan Lee is going to sure. be working with. So the end um, of the year, leading receiving, yeah. leading in re, uh, receiving yards, yeah. I believe the lowest in I believe either the Ferens or Fry era. We talked preseason, but uh, Gavante in twenty thirteen, I think had three ninety eight. Didn't didn't break four hundred. Three eighty eight, I think it was, and now almost a hundred yards less. That's your best leading receiver or your lowest number to lead along those same lines i've got some trivia but i want to put it in the later half of the show when we're doing the season review so it it goes along those those lines so that's what we call a tease that is a tease in the business well we teased nick jackson talking about this we i asked him i can't remember the exact wording on the question you hear the tail end of it here but again nick jackson graduated from virginia in may he maybe got to Iowa City in June, wasn't practicing with the team, though, until August. So we're really just getting into the fifth month of Nick Jackson even being with the Hawkeyes officially. Uh, but we asked him in bowl, or, uh, in leading up to the Big Ten title game, just his time with the program, with Kirk Ferentz, what he had heard outside before coming in. Uh, and, boy, it sure sounded like a guy that would like a little more time with the program, and now it sounds like he's going to get that. What have you learned, then, in the... Six, seven months that you've been here, not even that, I don't think. Well, I mean, I've learned that uh, we've 10 and 2, so he's a winner. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, he's, he's just a heck of a football coach. Um, he's an even better person, honestly. So, it's just one of those, one of those people you see, you, you get your, your joy, like you, you have happiness. Um, and you're just thankful. I mean, every single time he talks, you listen. Uh, you're going to learn. You're going to learn a lot from him. His perspective is wonderful. Um, so it's just, it's, it's, it's an honor playing for him. It's an honor just learning from him. It's an honor watching him and, and just trying to, trying to emulate him. What have you learned then? And he gets another year to do that. It, again, a, a guy that we were, I think everyone had 
high hopes and expectations for because of his pedigree coming out of Virginia and what he did there in the ACC. Boy, in a season where, you know, you just talk about Eric All and, you know, what happens with Cade and, and they miss so much time, there may not have been a more important transfer pickup certainly at Iowa and, and I was just gonna ask, is he, he's a, as good as a transfer pickup as you could ever ask for. Is he the best transfer? Uh, I wouldn't say transfer. Well, this in year program for history Iowa, in program history, I guess, I don't know if you knew Juco, know, Brad, Brad Banks, Brad Banks is, is a Juco a transfer. transfer. Yeah. I, I'd say in the modern era, without a doubt running away, yeah. it's Nick Jackson. We, the time, time, time will still tell on guys like, can't think of another one who came from guy, a, on guys like Caleb Brown and, and Seth and Cade certainly, but I mean, mm. For him to come in and just immediately be, you know, and Rusty Feth is going to get overlooked so much just because he's in the interior and you don't think about him. But he comes in uh, as an all-Mac performer from Miami of Ohio, and all he does is show up and be an all-Big Ten performer on, on an offensive line that needed a guy like that. Yeah. And he was he was terrific down the stretch. Those two, have, you know, we were, we were looking at all the flashy positions, and, of course, it's the linebacking core and offensive line <clears> where <throat> Iowa finds its biggest strength in the portal. Certainly mm-hmm. if Eric All had stayed healthy this year, I feel like yeah. he probably would have taken over that mantle. I mean, that guy was such a good tight end. He was such a good, uh, what do you call it, safety valve for yeah. Deacon Hill this season. And, and, boy, you just think what that guy could have done if he would have had a full healthy season. I mean, again, playing half the games of anybody else and still leading the team in receiving <laughs> yards. Uh, that guy is going to really make a difference in the NFL. That is the one big what if I have in my head. Just one of those tight ends, if they stay healthy. I know, you know, the offense not as good as we would hoped, obviously. Um, but if those two t- tight ends stay healthy, you know, that's a totally different like look. Sure. The, the the glass half full, and we'll talk more about this later in the show with the the twenty three season review. But those injuries then are the reason why we head into twenty four really high on Addison Estrenga. You know, he gets his opportunity and, you know, Zach Ortworth, who has the longest reception of anybody all year, and that's his only catch too, was that one down to seam against... That was uh, his only catch, that, that right? Rutgers. Right. He had a couple of targets, I believe. Yeah, more game, targets, but... but. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's that's next man in. It's a developmental program, and those guys, quote-unquote, weren't supposed to see the field. They did, and now you, you feel a little bit better about certainly what Addison can do. And, you know, Zach Ortworth, a kid that a year ago was getting ready for high school graduation and all that, he's got a few more reps, and that's the stuff that pays off eventually uh, down the line. We're going to take a quick break here. We're going to start looking towards 2024 before we uh, Tarantino it and look back to the 23 again. But uh, listen, a lot of guys coming back, a lot to be optimistic about. We'll talk about it after the break. Okay, so we know who's back, predominantly on defense. you got one more decision to make in, in Quinn Schulte. And again, I it wouldn't shock me if that popped up at some point here while we're on air. <laughs> uh, but we're going to start taking a look now at the 2024 depth chart, what it probably looked like going into spring. Wouldn't be surprised if there's some shifts post-spring. Again, we saw Charlie Jones a couple years ago transfer after Iowa wrapped up spring ball. That's the way of the world, and that, that could certainly happen here as we get into to April and May uh, in 2024. But Would it here, start with offense or defense? Let's start with offense, yeah, because nobody's talked about the offense at all. <laughs> so here's our look at what things will probably look like going into 2024. You're going to have Seth Anderson, who we talked a little bit off camera. I, I don't remember him getting a snap last Monday. He certainly didn't have a target or a catch, which was really surprising. Uh, but I'm happy to see him on there. Uh, so this is just what I took from the, la- the Citrus Bowl depth chart, sure. and I plugged in um, anyone who hasn't hit the transfer portal isn't you know graduating there's there's some in there that like i put quinn in the defense because i wasn't sure yeah and there's you know talk that he might come back so um 
That is interesting. I didn't actually, we hadn't talked about that at all be, just because I don't know if it was just I, shooting the game. We hadn't noticed that at all. I know is, Bostic we, was out there. About that. Yeah. It's so t- like when you're shooting a game, you're not watching the game. Because people will ask you, like, what happened here and there? Like, I, I don't know. I saw, <laughs> I saw Deacon and Caleb in this box here and nothing else. You're more ten-yard run looks like a two-yard run. It, like sometimes it's, when it's you're so at the, tough. Just the goal yeah, line. Lit, literal perspective of of what you're seeing is really tough. And then a guy's running you over as, you, as you're trying to get the shot. Uh, but for those who aren't watching on YouTube, we'll run through. I quarterback Cade's your one. Uh, Hill and Linez split at two. I wouldn't be shocked. If Marco, I almost put Linez at two, but that was just me saying he should be the two. It's that's going to be a very interesting, and certainly, you know, as Cade continues to rehab, I don't know if he'll be ready for the spring. I mean, he's been without mm. crutches for a while and unwrapped. I would think in a few more months he'll be able to do something. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll I thought I think is. people are are, are um, estimating he's not going to be ready for the spring, but you, you don't know for sure. And I think there was talk last week, and it didn't pan out about Ty Thompson coming in as a visit and then he the day he was supposed to visit Iowa City on Friday he committed to Tulane he's the Oregon backup who backed up Bo Nix it was Arizona player of the the year in high school and was one of the I think he was the some was the number two dual threat quarterback in the country in that class I think just the thought of them trying to bring in someone makes you think that they're not satisfied but without an offensive coordinator I don't know how you can move forward yeah yeah. Um, that job is still posted I've I've been checking like every morning the last couple (laughs) days like is it is what, what do you guys make of that? Coming though? out of the Vatican, is there a pope? <laughs> like, what do we got? Um, I I was a little curious too when I saw that they were possibly bringing in another quarterback. I'm like, I thought that we had a, the quarterback situation sewn up. I mean, Cade McNamara didn't put up stellar numbers in his games that he did play, but he was still recovering and still getting used to the system. And so, I still think that. From everything I'd heard, they were just excited to see him at full go next year, possibly. And after what they saw out of Marco Linez in the Citrus Bowl, I think that they felt pretty good about what he could bring to the table next year. Um, yeah, Deacon Hill probably getting getting bumped down to number three. But but yeah, still, I, I was just I was in, as intrigued as anybody about why they would be bringing in a quarterback. I mean, is this is this the state of college football? Do you just bring in any good player that is willing to come? Bring in as in just I think let them that, come like free agency. Yeah, just yeah. like hey, like let's. Sit down, have a meal, have a cup of coffee or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. What's this is Cade's like second major injury. You can't trust, like, if you are putting all your eggs in his basket, mm-hmm. I think you try and be like, okay, this guy's on the market. Let's bring him in. If he wants to compete for that job, it makes me think that he that he wanted to go somewhere where he was the clear number one. We went to Tulane, who was losing their quarterback, right? Yeah. Malachi Nelson just did the same. Uh, he was the number one recruit out of last year's class at USC. Obviously, um, Miller rolls out and has that insane game in the bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. He transfers to Boise State where he, as long as he wants to be the starter there, yeah. Malachi Nelson's probably going to be the starter there on the blue turf. Uh, it, I do think, I, and again, something I think we've, we've talked about off camera, um, you're going to get the kid from, from Jacksonville, James Razor, I mean, Razor. I think it's Razor, in, yeah. As the, as the quarterback. Razor. He, who, can, who can move around. He's got some speed. Uh, Jimmy Sullivan's the kid out of Fort Wayne that committed uh, from the class of 25 a couple weeks ago. And in his picture, I don't know if you want to look this up on Twitter, if we want to show it. Um, usually when re- recruits commit, and we're looking way too far and kind of getting off depth chart here, but it's usually a picture with like Kirk and then like the coordinator that is related to that position. But in Jimmy Sullivan's shot, it was him in the middle, Kirk on the right, and Bud Meyer on, on his left which kind of, t- or on the left side of the picture, his right arm, which kind of tells me maybe Bud's the quarterback coach now, or at least was a- acting quarterback's coach in s- 
in a recruiting uh, situation. Yeah, right there. So I do wonder if like that's been sealed up because I think he also was trying to get Ty Thompson to Wisconsin while he was still at Wisconsin, mm-hmm. which is the w- big reason why Cade came to Iowa because that relationship. It's why Deacon's at Iowa because I think he committed as a sophomore and he credits Bud Meyer for that. Uh, so I do wonder if when it comes to like trying to find a portal quarterback and filling out the depth chart, if John's status, whatever it may be, if he's in this new role or if he's acting that new role, and he was how that's acting for Brian at the time because we perhaps yeah. Kirk said that Brian wasn't recruiting, obviously. So I wonder if he, but it was yeah. just because I think his official role this yeah. year was assistant to the head coach. Like sure. assistants to the head coach don't take pictures with recruits. I don't think I haven't seen a whole lot of those. First one we've seen um, though. But it does feel like, and there's something we talked about going back to the beginning of the fall, is that if it feels like that's his experience. He's got a, no, a year of being an OC at Colorado State. Like it feels like he's been set up for a bigger role, and maybe that's what we start to see. Whoever the OC is, maybe John's your QB coach. But that could that certainly could, affect the depth, depth chart and those relationships he has. Seems like uh, from, from what we hear, what our conversation was with David Eichold about the OC spot, it's like, his possible role as QB coach is going to depend on who the offensive coordinator sure. is, you know, because that could be could be like Brian Ferentz where the QB coach is the same as OC. But um, if if not, if, if it ends up being Joe Philbin, he would not be a QB coach. And so okay. then you've got then you've got a spot wide open for John, John Bud there. As for the running back room, uh, anybody and everybody all the time is in there, which is really cool to see. LeSean Williams coming off an all Big Ten season. Caleb Johnson, who I think at least two of us had as preseason offensive MVP and, and certainly boy he he had the home run hits against Purdue and, and the one that won the West against Illinois Jazz had his game against Iowa State and certainly he's got a, a skill it, it's crazy to watch how run, how hard he runs it's mm. so much fun and then Kamari Moulton and, and TJ Washington who both got in down near the goal line uh, in that big drive in the Citrus Bowl before the interception so they've they've got plenty of tread and that and they've still got their red shirts too, so they're they're in there. I do wonder. You love seeing everything that's in the running back room, considering how I, Iowa wants to run the ball. They've got bodies to do it. You do wonder at the end of spring though if somebody's the odd man out. And I was thinking that exact yeah. exact same thing. They, they see where the pecking order is, and if and if they're not satisfied with it, and I'm I'm not holding anything against these kids. No. Like there there there's almost too many mouths to feed. I know at the beginning of the season they said we're all going to get we're all going to eat, but Five running backs is a lot to to keep fed throughout a season. It was very weird to me the running back situation in the Citrus Bowl, um, like because they I feel like we could have maybe seen more of those guys or like and and in that deep deep drive situation they had the f- number four and five guys on the depth chart in there taking taking snaps. I mean the the running back situation was just odd to me in the Citrus Bowl. I mean did that stick out to anybody else that they may, uh, maybe we. Could have seen more of LeSean and, and Caleb. I did. Uh, I mean, my first reaction was when when TJ got the hand off. Like, it's TJ Washington. In there. Yeah. Like, haven't seen you since Western Michigan, man. Yeah. Or I think he's had a couple couple runs since then. Uh, it was just surprising because it wasn't who you were expecting. But I, I mean, that's kind of the bowl game, right? Sometimes is you roll out some dudes and, and see if and if they've been, as we've always heard, if they're practicing well, like they're going to get a shot. And I wonder if that was. Maybe a case for like, okay, like we've got you down near the goal line. We saw what you did against uh, a MAC team, certainly in Kamari, and what he did against Western Michigan to have a, a big third and fourth quarter. Like, all right, guys, like let's see what you can do here. And 
It was nice to see. I think, didn't TJ have like a 14-yard carry or something? Yeah, it was. And then he had, then he had a really nice run. It was and awesome. And then again, we were on the sideline, so I don't think he got another snap, did he? Or did he get? I think he got one more. No, no, a okay, carry, I mean? Did he I get think, a carry? I think okay. he got one more like in that drive, but. It was um, a good run, though. Yeah, I, and he's a dude. It, it sounds like they really like his versatility. Kamari's the smaller of the two, but I mean, hey, film don't lie. I mean, <laughs> he was he was great against against Western Michigan. Also, uh, had some long runs there as well. I have another note about the running back room. Um, I I have not heard anything officially, and I, Hayden Large could come back for one more year, right? I thought so too, but I haven't heard anything. And he wasn't. Doctorman did a a rundown of the. The depth chart on offense, or yeah, on offense, and it sounded like Rusty was was your fullback. So I'm guessing Hayden's. That, which again, another guy you I didn't see, I haven't seen that. See more of. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a Hayden Large guy, but but these um, these COVID years are screwing with me. So I, yeah, I never remember true. who has one. So in at Dort, yeah, he played 2020, which doesn't count, and then 21 and 22, and came here in 23. So um, theoretically, he could have one more year if he chose to. I don't think he's got lots of. NFL offers coming in right now. It, it seems like he would want to play maybe one more year at Iowa if he if he has aspirations of the next level. Do those COVID year guys count it against your scholarship? I would think so. I mean, there's because that's the other thing that yeah. if they have an, you know so many signees coming in that if they weren't expecting all five, all six of these guys to come back, they would have to make room for for Quinn, for a, a Nick Jackson, mm-hmm. for yeah. Jay, like for Seb, you know. Yeah. And obviously, you make room for them because those are your guys. But sure. who gets the you know? The short stick of of not yeah. getting that scholarship, which tough spot. I, I don't I don't know how to do all that math. So yeah, yeah. I, I hope Hayden comes back just because I thought he did really well, and one of those wheel routes is going to get him a touchdown if he comes back. I, I boy, I love seeing him get out there uh, playing playing a little tight end even as a fullback. But he also is credited a lot, Rusty, helping him learn the position. So I, I get the feeling Rusty uh, Van Wetzing uh, could what a name. In. That's boy That's talking one. about another great fullback name. Uh, I think he could step in and just be fine. Um, so there we I, go. I was looking at some game logs for at least Leishon. I was going to look at Caleb after, after this. But uh, Tennessee, he only had six carries. That's the fewest he had since the Penn State game. Um, every other game leading up. He had, he had nine against Michigan. And then before that, it was 16, 16, 13, 24, 11. Um, so vastly underused compared to what he had been in the last three or four I think some of that's just the game plan because they could not run the ball. Very effectively, um, and they More were down by. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's look at receivers here. <laughs> Seth Anderson, Caleb Brown, your ones. I don't think there's any argument there. Jacob Bostic, again, a, a dude I feel like I've at least been silently cheering for, and now I've talked about it a little bit more. Finally getting healthy, the kid out of Palantine, and has gotten some run with the ones. Alec Wick, great receiver from Regina, who I still have yet to see drop a ball in any sort of major competition. Uh, we'll see who else is, is in there in the room, but... Uh, Thoughts on receivers quick. A, a position that we're this we're just needs more talent. Something. Yeah. This needs more yeah. more uh, more bodies. guys. Jared Bowie's a guy who got a lot of run with the ones yeah. too. Uh, would like and again, like him and Bostic, taller guys with some length. Like Yeah, it would be interesting to see how they, they pan out, but since they weren't playing, it leads me to believe that Seth and, and Kaylee, even though Seth didn't play that last game, like like you said, or or yeah. But um a lot of these receivers all year had struggling getting open. And again, Citrus Bowl was the same way. You, Tennessee did not respect the pass game, and that's to do with a lot of things, just the offense in general. But um, it'd be nice to, to see, and I don't know if it'd be possible to bring in someone in the spring, um, just because how do you recruit a receiver to this offense? I mean, they got Seth in that way, but I, I, I feel like you got to bring in somebody. And I, 
heck, Caleb came in too. True. So yeah. I think maybe you get a guy who is in that Caleb Brown situation who's maybe at a really big program, not getting the time though, and sees an opportunity. I, yeah, I mean, Caleb, just from some of the plays that we saw him make in that Citrus Bowl, you're just like, gosh, this kid is going to be so freaking good next year. I mean, he's got such big play potential, but boy, after that, oh man, I mean, they, they just need such help there. And especially with Deontay Vines leaving, like they've, they've got to get some, something to just provide even a little bit of depth there. Because I mean, if Cade comes back and he is fully healthy, he's got to have at least a couple more options of guys to throw it to that have a little bit more experience than, than Alec Wick. Or else they're just going to be bracketing Luke Lachey and, uh, you know, if it, if there's only one or two guys on the outside that can beat you, they're gonna we're gonna see much of the same on defense or when we're on offense, stacking the box, you know, hey, beat us deep, and Cade I think it, it gives us a better option to do that than Deacon, but um, we'll have to see how this offense progresses, and that's been like this <laughs> the main line for the past three years. We'll see, and you got some freshmen that are coming as well. I know that. We know from, from covering high school football, Alex Moda, a kid out of Marion that they're really excited about. would love to see Alex uh, continue to rise up. But offensive line, uh, you basically get everybody back, which is great. Logan Jones is going to be your starting center. Uh, Tyler Ellsbury, though, got, got plenty of time and uh, obviously stepped in really well. Really well a guy oh, that's who right. He was play all those. Uh, Nick DeYoung back, a guy who, again, has a ton of versatility. But you got Richmond. You got Connor Colby. You got Jennings Dunker. Uh, you lose Rusty again, who is so great. Cade Piper's a guy everybody keeps talking about it just being an, an absolute beast since he's got on campus. Uh, listen, there were ebbs and flows with the O-line, but we talked about needing experience and bringing experience back. You've got it in 24, and you've got to be at least cautiously optimistic that, hey, these guys have got a ton of time together. It's going gonna, it's gonna to gel. I would like to see uh, that that happen next year, especially with uh, the amount of experience we have coming back. Um, people were a little bit low. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm mainly just talking like you know fans and their, their disappointment in some of these guys. Just like um, just Deke, as as much as Deacon struggled in a lot of games this year. I mean, especially in the Citrus Bowl, he just didn't have a lot of protection. I mean, he was going down a lot, um, and there was some struggles on that O line keeping him healthy. I mean, just. That, that one sack that happened on the goal line, that was just total blown assignment by, um, was that DeYoung? I forget who was on that right side. I don't want to call somebody out, but somebody just like totally missed Not the sure. block and that led to that, that sack and the fumble. Um, so there were, there were some pretty big question marks, I feel like, on the O-line last year. I also think but. some of that is due to the fact that this offense doesn't have a deep threat and they don't have to mm. back up. Like They can go man-to-man, they can bring extra guys, and there's just no consequence for doing that. Yeah. At least in the air. Yeah. Um, you saw, I think, that one big LeSean Williams carry. That was on a blitz, and they blocked it perfectly, and he, he ran it for 80 yards, and that can happen too when you bring some guys up. But that just goes back to, I don't think it's all in the offensive line when there's like six or seven guys coming up. There are only five of them. You know, I think when, when they have only needed to do like five on five, they've looked good. Yeah. At least it, this year, that's what I've thought. But yeah. I don't know if you guys went back and watched the broadcast, but Brock Osweiler was the the color commentator on the game. Right? Uh, yeah, former Bronco. Right. Uh, <laughs> he he kept looking. Tennessee was starting. Again, we talked about the secondary and everybody that opted out or wasn't going to be there. They had a, a true freshman starting, and he for like four or five plays straight was just like, I don't get why they don't test the receiver on the outside against that DB and just like throw one up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah. Aside from like a couple shots to Caleb or Nico a few times, like Iowa doesn't 
throw streaks, it doesn't feel like. And, and certainly just because there was so much pressure up where Deacon didn't have time, it's like, Brock, when do you want him to throw it to him? Like, yeah. he just, it's one he was just going off his yeah. back foot and, and chucking it up. There just wasn't a lot of opportunity. And again, uh, not an offense that tends to be aggressive downfield a ton. There, there's been moments, certainly, and it's, again, a, a time where, boy, those, those deep balls to Nico, there was just like a step too far or something like that. Like, the opportunities were there, but yeah, a, another one of those that you, you keep looking for. So hopefully everything meshes together uh, in 2024 for that offense. The defensive depth chart we've kind of already gone through just based on who's all coming back and we'll, we'll hustle through it a little bit. But uh, you're going to lose Joe Evans. You're going to lose Logan Lee and you're going to lose Cooper Jean uh, on on defense. But assuming everybody else is back the way it is, that's a pretty strong unit. That's put Brian Allen on there. Brian He's Allen, the end, right? My guy like- Brian Allen who wrecked that that fall open scrimmage was terrific. Herkett. Uh, Still a pretty stacked D-line. Yeah, yeah. Herkett missed the bowl game, but l- was tied coming into the bowl game. Tied for the lead on, on the D-line with tackles, which is awesome. I mean, he had some of the biggest game-changing plays of the year. Devontae Craig uh, really shined. Y.A. Black was terrific. Aaron Graves. Graves was great in that bowl game. Yeah. And then your same, uh, your same linebackers, uh, Kyler Fishers are also coming back, so you're Entire starting linebacking core and Seb Castro back. Deshaun Lee has all the experience he got. John Nestor might be in there uh, fighting for playing time, too. They're really high on him. Uh, we've already talked about Cohen Enninger and what he could do. And then Xavier, all he does is stand back there and just lock things down in the safety spot. Quinn Schulte does what he does. And then Jamari coming back and, and a guy in Hilson who they're really uh, high on who's been a great special teamer along with Nestor, too. One name that is not on here that I think is a possibility to come back i haven't heard anything about is chris reams yeah um, he was a guy who he was out there in the bowl game too yeah 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 he, he's a guy who had to miss some games early in the season and i forget exactly why i forget if it was part of the gambling thing or i think it was yeah yeah um but anyway he so he didn't didn't exactly get the experience to have a full season but if he comes back um good kid out of van meter that could um solidify even more depth on the d-line there yeah not much else to say i mean the defense you, the, you saw last year it just loses yeah. cooper and a couple i mean Joe Evans, hey, was awesome in the bowl game. Four sacks, right? From like, walk we didn't on, talk about that. From, from walk on to the fourth most sacks in program history. <laughs> Not bad for a quarterback at Ames High yeah. School. Like what a Ames High does aim high though. That's what they, they tell you. <laughs> Just so cool, and we probably should take a little time to talk about Cooper because. This kid, in really just two seasons, I mean, played a little bit in in twenty one, but in two seasons went from. Small town Iowa kid who people were who was must see TV as a, a small school high school quarterback to a guy who's kind of a living legend. Mm, yeah, and what a what a ride! And you you had a front row seat for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's been so much fun because you just never knew what the future of Cooper was going to be, especially in high school. Because as we've talked about, he was such a stud basketball player coming yeah. uh, through high school that you were like, boy, this kid could be a D one talent in basketball. And that highlight reel has popped up <laughs> like yeah. every month. It's like, Oh, by the way, Cooper's got hops. <laughs> and, yeah. and and then when he decided to commit to football, it's like, all right. And you're a D back and okay, well, we'll, we'll see what you can do there at Iowa. Um, it, there was not, you know, when he committed, he was, again, there was nobody chasing Cooper regime when he committed. I mean, I think he maybe had an offer from Iowa in South, Dakota State, maybe like there were just not a lot of guys after. Oh, he could have been See, national title. What's that? He could have won yeah, the, the national title. The South Dakota <laughs> State won that yesterday. The team who hasn't lost since Iowa yeah. held them without a touchdown and didn't score a touchdown and still won seven. Yeah. So I mean, his story has just been so much fun to watch in person because it's like 
yeah, he's that kind of kid who can come out of a 1A, 2A high school and he, he can put up some good numbers at Iowa, but he, he proved to be so much more than that. He, he was a guy who electrified the fan base. Um, we've talked about that punt return touchdown against Michigan State, that that's you know, one of the loudest moments in Kinnick Stadium recent memory when, when he scored that one uh, touchdown and then the touchdown that didn't count. Uh, probably rivaled that as one of the loudest I've ever heard Kinnick Stadium. I mean, that place was like going to shake the earth with how much that place was bumping during the time between when it was a touchdown and when it was not a touchdown. Um, but just a guy that like, for a kid who played defense, um, somebody that Hawkeye fans like are going to remember for a long time. So fun to watch. Um, yeah, and the only time I can remember, and I've been to a lot of games with Kinnick, where, and this is, Fans were so angry about that. They were throwing like debris on the field, which I do not condone. Do not do that again. But um, I've never seen that before. But Iowa State game last year it happened. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I left early. So <laughs> Good fandom. <laughs> it was raining. It, it was, was pouring down. Yeah, I wasn't even there, and I felt miserable. I forget what bad call happened, but I remember there being some, some water bottles getting chucked on the field. Oh, it Iowa was the, uh, the fumble. The fumble that would have put Iowa at 14-3, oh, right? Oh, really? Yeah. That was early I, I assume that was it. Yeah. I don't know. Again, I wasn't there, but got to go back and look. But there was some yeah. bottles on the field. Not nearly. If you were there and you threw something, please get in the comments. Let us know. <laughs> um, but there's the announcement there from Cooper and yeah, Man, it's go tough. wreck the league three. I, and we're happy for you. That's please the one don't thing. go to the Vikings or Bears. Do what you have to. That's the draft. That was the one thing that, like, re- I mean, man, it was such a bummer when I saw him commit to. The- <laughs> I wanted to see him back in a Hawkeye uniform yeah. so bad next year, just for the sake of getting a chance to cover him one more time, see one more go around, see his name potentially go up on the Ring of Honor. I mean, man. I, I think really personally, we all wanted to in the media just because I think in the back of our minds, if he continued with the punt return, like, I'm like, all right, Dark Horse, at least people talking about it. I don't think, I think it's a quarterback award, the Heisman, mm-hmm. but I think. People would have at least here in Iowa talked about it. He would have been a Thorpe guy. He would have, I mean, all that, you know, we kind of gloss over it just because we have such high expectations and and lofty dreams for him. But he won defensive back and returner of the year. Like, that's, Mm -hmm. it's a creative player, man. Mm -hmm. It's so cool. And uh, I still, I still love that the last time he got to leave Kinnick Stadium was unfortunately on crutches, but him just beaming because his team won the West. And, um, if you turn up the audio on the video, you hear he's uh, pretty vocal in his excitement hmm. about the developments there. How do you guys think he does in the NFL? I mean, obviously, he's a first-round projection. I mean, is he uh, the defensive version of Tim Dwight? Um, is, he, is he something more than that? I mean, what, what is it that he can actually do for an NFL team? Because even still, as much as we kind of keep doubting him because of his size, he is still an undersized guy for the NFL he did not allow a touchdown this entire season with Iowa, so obviously snaps, he's, yeah. he's doing something I think he right, plays cornerback and becomes the first white corner in the league for uh, to start a game Yeah, I since fe- Jason Seahorn. Yeah. I will not doubt Cooper DeGene until he gives me reason to do so. <laughs> so whatever, whatever he wants to try and accomplish in the NFL, full faith he can pull it off. You think he still returns punts? Yeah. yeah. He's just too dynamic. If the team that drafts him knows what's good for him, yeah, he's going to return punts. <laughs> Although I guess... It, that's part of his appeal, though. Yeah. I mean, he's a yeah. shutdown corner who can also be explosive in special teams. Mm-hmm. Sure. And anybody in the NFL will tell you. I mean, yeah. that's that's how Amir got his foot in the I wonder, he's receiver, uh, but he's created chaos on special teams. That's what keeps him in the league. I wonder if anyone tries to play him on offense, too. I know in college it works, but I, I still think he's effective with the ball. And you could, like, I'm thinking Taysom Hill, even though he's not that big, just getting him in a, a sweep or something or like a, a special gadget thing, yeah. player. 
like one or two Eric plays. McKinnon. He reminds me of yeah. like a Jarek McKinnon on on defense. And he he won't need to play as many snaps in the NFL. That is one thing that that's true. He won't. Mean. And and at Iowa, it's like he was so good that it's like they just hated to take him off the field. I think at any point because you know yeah. that he's going to shut the, his guy down. But in the NFL, at least you have a little bit of backup that you could move him around a little bit more if you want to. Do you have a special teams depth chart by chance? I did not That's make okay. one. It's easy to get through. Uh, Drew Stevens, I imagine, is your kicker. Luke Elkins, your long snapper. Reese, is it Dakin or Dockin? I'm not sure. Dockin, I he's, think. He's your new punter. Said. Uh, and I would imagine it's still Caden Weijin returning punts. And yeah. So there's your special teams depth chart. Max White, I think, was the second kick lost. return guy, wasn't he? Uh, yes. L- lost, uh, lost a long snapper to the transfer portal. Liam Reardon. I saw Reardon was in he's there. He's out. Yeah. Um, I mean, Luke, Luke Elkin is made that his spot, which is awesome. He's been, again, yeah. I, I would be more shocked to see Tory shank a punt than I would be, or I'd be less shocked to see Tory shank a punt than Luke have a bad snap. He's yeah. just been outstanding. Yeah. I'm excited things. to see what Reese can do now. Yeah, going to be good next year. I mean, it, it's, it's going to be like, I feel like fans might be a little bit disappointed at first just because Caden Weijin is not um, Cooper DeGene <laughs> on punt returns, and so he might not break quite as many loose, but uh, effective punt returner. He's, guy who's, he's, yeah, yeah, he's shown effective. Down. Yeah, I mean that that return against Illinois helped help yeah. set Iowa up, and uh, it, it does show though when you when you don't have Cooper back there, like at the bowl game, I think he let one go over his head, mm. um, and we got pinned back deep. I think that led to the the fumble yeah. inside, but you know, obviously the fumble wasn't his fault. But um, just having an effective punt returner who can catch it and not roll an extra 10, 15 yards is so huge with this offense with, when there's already like just small margins yeah. that they have to, to fight through. Everything affects everything. Yeah. You know, that's why when people like lock in on like one reason for it's like, well, what happened before that? What leads to everything's connected and everything yields good and bad results. So it's all, it's all part of the flow. Let's look at the new flow of the Big Ten real quick, the 2024 schedule. Uh, you're going to open with three straight home games, Illinois State, Iowa State, and Troy before you hit the road from Minnesota and Ohio State. Come back home for possibly the defending national champions, at the very least the defending runners-up in Washington. Then you head to East Lansing for Michigan State. You go back home for Northwestern Wisconsin, then head to L.A. to take on UCLA, mm. and then go to Maryland, and you wrap up at home Black Friday against Nebraska. Initial quick thoughts on the 2024 schedule and the new look Big Ten. A wild four weeks to end the year. You're in Wisconsin. <laughs> you're on the West Coast in Los Angeles. You're There's on a the bye East. week in between two road games, oh, I believe. Between the road games there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that's the, the Big Ten rule is that if you have to go West, then you get a bye week right out, or you're at home, something mm-hmm. like that. So is that... So their bye week isn't until after week. They have two bye weeks. I didn't put them in the schedule, which oh, okay. I probably should have, but I can look it up right now while we discuss this. Is that a new thing, having yeah. two bye weeks? Yeah. Because of the scheduling because stuff? Of the, okay. the travel hmm. that would involve. What's the biggest game that pops out to you? I mean, I mean there's two pretty apparent ones, but mm-hmm. what's, the biggest game, what's the key game early, right away, would you say? Uh, I, th- I think that Ohio State is the one er, right away that they're gonna, we're going to get a good – indication of what this team is um, because again Illinois State I mean Troy's a freaking good team I mean they're a great um, I was gonna say Iowa State I, yeah Iowa State despite what happened in Memphis like, like that's gonna Rocco be the difference Cook, between yeah. winning like eight games and seven games that's a good barometer seven or six September, yeah for both teams it's true I, I only say that Ohio State's a good test because Iowa State is always a game that you know is going to be like no matter how good or bad either team is going to be, that's going to be a close game. And so you almost can't, like, gauge a season off of what happens in the Cyhawk game. Ohio State's just the one where it's like, all right, now we know what this team is and kind of what their identity is going to be if they're going to be able to 
going to be a team that can hang with mm-hmm. uh, the best teams in the Big Ten. I think Ten. Washington will be deceptive because I think they lose all, they lose all the, the NFL receivers. Who they lose is, yeah, yeah, whoever Penix because they so they could be like have a major drop off like TCU level, even though they still won. I don't know how many games they won this year, but just saying they they, they might not be game. that national title contender like they are this year. I'll be interested to see what Minnesota's like with Darius Taylor will be back. It sounds like they've got a, a new DC hired. Um, Rutgers linebackers coach, but Max Brosmer is coming in as a transfer quarterback out of New Hampshire, and he's one of the what's the FCS version of the Heisman, the Peyton? Uh, is that what it is? Yeah, the, yeah he's, the Peyton a, Award. he's a finalist for that, and he's really, really good quarterback at New Hampshire. So we'll see what mm. see what Minnesota brings to the table. They got Floyd after all. Jonathan Smith, the new head coach at Michigan State, he's bringing in like at least two, if not three, different transfer quarterbacks that are going to shake stuff up. David Braun, that is his program fully and thoroughly in Evanston against Northwestern. Year two with Luke Fickle in Wisconsin. You saw them against LSU. Uh, Tanner Mordecai was healthy, and he was cooking early in that game against the Tigers. UCLA is going to be UCLA. Maryland's going to have a new quarterback. And then Nebraska, again, we'll, we'll see what this uh, Rayola kid can do. Uh, you look at this Big Ten schedule. It almost looks like, it, and this is way too early, Just, but I'm just <laughs> We're doing this in January, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But the toughest ga- or the easiest games look like maybe Michigan State with a brand new head coach and Maryland with a brand new quarterback. And Michigan State's going to be interesting. Yeah, I don't know how that that's going to go. Be an interesting game. But Lovely campus though in East Lansing. At Lovely. the same time, Washington had been strong for several years now. Ohio State is bringing in. I forget honestly who they who they just brought in the quarterback. Who? Ohio State. I uh, just brought in Will Howard from Kansas okay. State. Will Howard, Kansas State. That's an. Ex- that, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Exciting pick. Yeah, I mean, they're going to lose um, Marvin Harrison. Harrison and Agamba, and yeah, we'll see. Nebraska, um, I, it's I, January. I'm going to predict Nebraska again is going to be significantly better when uh, next year when they get into yeah. the second year of the Matt Rule era. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's a it's a sneaky tough schedule. It's not one of the ones in the Big Ten that you look at as the toughest, but for this Iowa team, I think it's going to be a tough one. No Michigan, no Oregon, no. USC. USC, but yeah, I mean those those are five tough road games. Yeah, this is Penn not State. a schedule where you can just rely on your defense to win you ball games. They need just so much more production out of their offense. Um, looking at some of these games, I mean they they're not getting to double digit wins again with with this schedule if they play offense like they did this year. I really do. I mean they have got some tough games early. Even I mean Iowa State's going to be good. Uh, yeah, Troy is big Troy guy. A, I mean, <laughs> I I mainly just see it because we have a former colleague from WI in Des Moines who's a Troy grad and follows him. But they won eleven games this year. Yeah. Like they're a dang good football team, and so I would uh, I would be nervous about Troy coming to Kinnick Stadium. That could be a easy trap game for for the Hawkeyes. That um, Troy will give them a pretty good test. What are the bold predictions? We'll go that real quick before we take a break. Bold predictions, just based on either the schedule or who's back or. Just one big thing that you think is going to be something to follow uh, come fall 24. Oh, and you want to start? <laughs> Give you d- time to think. Um, <laughs> I haven't been thinking. I, I wrote this one down, and I've still been going back and forth like well, my bold prediction. I, I want to say I want to say Cade's going to play a, a full healthy year. That's your bold prediction? Yeah. <laughs> I hate that that's bold. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, that's kind of the hope, right? Yeah. Is that? That's where we are. The guy coming off two big injuries who got banged up in the fall camp too. Like that is that's kind of a goal. Is just let's get you through twelve, thirteen, four, whatever games. Get you through a full season. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost want to do like a positive, uh, like a 
Yeah, like a negative bold prediction and a positive bold. Best case scenario, worst case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. My worst case scenario one is that this team uh, fights for bowl eligibility at six and six. I, I was just gonna say my, Even my with negative the defense? pick was that this team doesn't make a bowl game. I mean, I, I see some of these games on the schedule, and I'm like, as much as it is, yeah, not exactly a murderer's row of of games. It's uh, it's a game. It's a schedule with a lot of losable games if you're the Hawkeyes, and, and you in a world where they don't take a big jump on offense next year. There are a lot of games on the schedule that you could lose and maybe be close to that six-win barrier. Even year-to-year, when you have so many one-loss games, like Iowa did this year and last year, I mean, just football, the law, yeah, one possession, like the law of averages, it's like you're going to lose them at some point. Mm -hmm. And I know this team seems different, and it's just that when when the going gets tough, they, you know, find a way to win. But if if they're not going to get better production on offense, which – is in part my bold prediction of Kate's going to stay healthy. I think the offense is going to start cooking to that, you know, 100 in the nation, maybe 90. That'd be, that'd be perfect. Um, but uh, so many winnable games, but so many losable games too. So yeah. I, I agree with that. My, my positive bold prediction would be that they will go into the Big Ten Championship week with a chance at making the college football playoff. Basically, you know, if you win this game, you're in the CFP. I can see that. That's the weird thing about this team. The wide variety of things I can see go. Because and it's so early. And I, I, I think Reese will be a heck of a punter. But that's... And Another we'll get into factor. that in the 23 review. Like, your best field position weapon is gone. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much that'll... Especially as this offense Too finds best. its footing early. It'll be, uh, it'll be super, super interesting to see. I think my bold prediction would be they win one of those big road games, i.e. Ohio State or UCLA or Washington. I think what they're, they're, I think we could probably agree those are their three toughest games maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah they win these, I think they win one of those. It has been a few years. You know, Iowa usually upsets someone and then gets upset by someone that, that you, quote-unquote, sh- they should have won. Yeah. This year, I feel like it was all chalk. That's, that's been the big narrative is you play yeah. three-ranked teams, you get shut out, 92 nothing, whatever it is. We don't need to rehash the numbers even though I just did. That's because that goes against what happens with Iowa, and I think that's why people have been less aggressive, at least to this extent now, because we've seen those instances where the Iowa way works, and we've talked about this quite a bit. Of just like if they can get it to be a fourteen thirteen game, they'll win that game. But if they don't get exactly the formula they need to go, whether it's by turnovers or whatever it may be, you know, people in in Indy, saw 26 nothing. thought, yeah, well, they just had the, the fumble there as they were driving, and then the weird call and the Deacon fumble. Like, Well, that was a that was a close, even coming out of, out of Columbus last year, where it was, what, 55-10 or whatever it was. They're like, you know, I've talked about it too, because it's kind of what I saw of, like, that defense was just out there too long and things get out of hand. They, they know how to win those games. It's just now they've been in a spot where the offense has had so much attrition that there's no way they can even like hold on to that, and then it just really falls off the backside in a big way, and that's that's been I think the real disappointment where you've seen so much more anger from the fan base is that these games that they always feel like they have a chance because there's that that forensic formula that they can figure out a way to win these games ugly, they've gone ugly the completely other way, and that's been a really tough thing. But again, if you get that offense healthy, you find those spots again maybe. So those are our bold predictions. <laughs> Brought to you by 
the caucus and winter weather. <laughs> uh, we'll take a quick break. We've already revisited 23 a little bit. We'll do that a little more and flush things out and put a bow on it after the break. All right, so 2023 ends on the first day of 2024 with a 35-0 loss in the bowl game to a freshman quarterback in Tennessee. Kirk Ferentz does not shy away from the fact that he's an optimist and he want to look on the bright side, and that's what he was exactly doing after the game. Yeah, just uh, really proud of our football team. Uh, disappointing today. It never feels good after a loss. Can't remember one. And, you know, if you do this, compete. Anytime you go out there, uh, it could go this way. The game is humbling, always has been, always will be. But I got to just encourage everybody to step back. It's a 10-win season, Big Ten West champs. A lot of really good moments, and they've, these guys have really overcome a lot of adversity and a lot of unique challenges. And that's, uh, those are things that really serve them while well moving forward as they go into their uh, adult lives. And for the guys coming back, we'll, we'll build off this. But just really proud of everybody. I don't know if it stems from... I think the exchange was was just last year with Eichel when David asked him something about the offense, and he goes, "Well, you know, we won ten games last year," and that became such a, like an eye roll thing for the fans. <laughs> it looked, it sounded like it was the same reaction that, like, I again, I consider myself a bit of an optimist too. Like, I appreciate that, like, after what just happened in the field, that you can go, "Hey, like, there's a lot of good things that happen in this team," you know ran into a tough spot, but look at everything we did over the last three, four months since August, everything like that. But what did you guys think about the the initial comments there? And, and as we get into our review, what did you think about the season? So th- that was after his opening statement. Sure. So like that wasn't even a question. But no, I agree with you. Um, I, I kind of see both sides of that. Well, we won 10 games and I'm happy about it. And then I look at, and I watch a lot of other college football. I listen to podcasts and stuff. The Big Ten West was super down this year. Like there's no other way to say it. Wisconsin was the next best team. They had like seven wins. They were seven and six. Um, but all the teams you thought were going to be on a next level, like Illinois, they had a down year from what they, we thought. Yep. We thought we thought Luke Fickle and Wisconsin might jump up. Like Iowa won it with you know two or two weeks left in the season. You know, um, so you have to give that a little bit too. It's ten wins. Every time you played a ranked team at the end of the season who finished ranked, I mean, like you mentioned before the break, it was a shutout because you couldn't move the ball. So when you weigh both sides, it's like, yeah, you won 10 games. You won those games against the quote unquote weaker teams. So you should celebrate that at the same time, moving forward, you got to realize this offense needs to change. If you want to compete again with the ranked teams, because the way you did it in the past, although it worked, I mean, the offenses were better than two. It's not forget that. I mean, they had better talent on the receivers, McNutt, uh, DJK. I mean, they had even just a few years ago with with Amir and Brandon. Oh, hundred percent. Those guys were dudes. You know, Amir's playing Fant- on Sundays. Fanton Hawkinson were in that first year of Brian as offensive coordinator. It's like you had Stanley, you had Akram in the backfield who just would run around all over the place. You had NFL guys in the offensive line. You had NFL tight ends. Yeah, this year there's on top of injuries, just young guys. That's when you've got a developmental program that wants to wait and play these guys when they're juniors and seniors and you have to throw them in with their freshmen and sophomores. Yeah, you're watching the growing pains and that can be, as we saw both on the stat sheet and sometimes just the eye test, that's tough. I do like to think that Kirk is 
uh, smart enough to like be realistic about why why this team has been able to win games in the last few years, and that is because of strictly and solely his defense, and that his offense is doing nothing to help him win games. And so now that he does not have any blood relation to the person who's going to be running the offense, I hope that he's able to take a more realistic approach to like some of the things that need to change or uh, making moves that will be able to help this offense move forward in a direction where they can be at least somewhat respectable and are not the laughing stock of the country. Um, and that's, that's at least going to uh, move them in some, something of a positive direction. I'd be interested to see too, because, you know, he did mention too, like, I mean, leading up to the bowl game, we heard from the coaches that Deacon has played well. I mean, he's statistically one of the worst D1 quarterbacks out there that at least has played so far. I wonder how much of that was just coach speak trying to build up your guys and how much they believe because they are coaches and the programs are like tunnel vision when you're in it, you know? So I wonder how much they're, they're stepping back and looking, wow, this, I mean, this offense really was one of the worst and how that can shift. Mm -hmm. I just, we all see it. Go ahead. Kirk, (laughs) Kirk talks to us about, you know, Hey, remember we won 10 games this year. I kind of hope that behind closed doors, that's maybe not the conversations that happening. That's happening because I feel like he wants to put on a positive front to the public, um, just you know, so they keep things in perspective or are able to um, not get out of control in terms of like wanting to get people fired. Um, but behind or closed not doors, renew their season tickets because that's the goal yeah, at the end true. of the day. But behind closed doors, I hope that he's a little bit more of a realist and, and has those real conversations with his players and his staff um, because those are things that need to happen. Not just say like, "Hey, one ten games, no changes, <laughs> we're good to go." Yeah, I think it's I think it's partially that I also think there's just never a scenario where he's going to throw a player under the bus. Or, and, and Brian, I think when he a- answered that question of Deacon's played really good football, he's the guy who gives us the best chance to win. I think he wasn't he asked a question about like, I don't know if it was directly a, about Marco. I know there was a question at some point during bowl prep about is there a package for Marco. And I think they're just, I think Deacon's an immensely likable guy. I mean, in our interactions, he's a f- super fun guy to talk to. His car became a, a narrative, which was super great. And I just don't think, I think that's their best approach of being like, getting asked these kind of like leading questions that are essentially like, why is Deacon Hill playing? That the only thing they, because they're not going to be like, yeah, you're, I don't know what we're doing. Well, like, to that you, point, like they should have had a package from Marco in the first quarter because you looked at how effective he was. He was the leading rusher in the game. I think, I think there's probably absolutely a, a thing to say, uh, like a, a wildcat package or a running package because the passing still needed a little bit of work. They did for Sam Laporta last year in the bowl game. I know, boy, yeah. If you had a package for Sam Laporta, boy, that's, oh, <laughs> you just started a whole message board thread there, man. Um, it it would have been nice to see. Revisionist uh, history. Like, it's easy right. for me to say that after Marco runs for 50 years. Who, who could predict we'll, that? We'll talk more about the what-ifs in, in 23. And, what again, what can come out of no matter what the situation is, there's always a positive. Uh, but we did get to see Marco, and there's probably a big discussion about what his role is in the spring. But... I just think this is a program that, and, and I don't have the direct quote from Kirk, but I believe he said it again during bowl prep of like their number one priority, their number one priority with this program is creating better people and, and graduating guys and making them better men. He never says anything about winning football games. He says that's the goal of the game. You always want to go out and win, but he always says the number one point of the program is to develop good young men and get them to graduate. And I think that's, 
as much as that maybe like doesn't sit well with fans who want to <laughs> compete and they always want to win, but their priority is do we have guys that, you know, we saw it outside the locker room in Indy where Robert Gallery standing there and that might have been the happiest Kirk was all night, just this big bear hug with Robert Gallery and you s- still see the emotions of him. You know, somebody, I think it was Jack Leto from KCRG asked him, you know, what did it mean to you that Deacon, after getting pulled, goes over and immediately slaps Marco on the back and is coaching him up and he gets emotional about that. Like, Jack had another question at the bowl game. I think he's trying to make her cry. <laughs> well, it worked. Uh, but I think that's that's what it is all about for him is let's, we want to win games. We've been able to do that despite all odds, but that's the stuff that we're able to do. We're able to create these, these situations where 20 years later guys aren't, you know, yeah, boy, that was rough. I didn't really enjoy college. Like, man, I met, you know, going back to Dejon Parker's tweet. Dejon Parker probably not going to be there next year. It sounds like he's moving on. But as soon as that Illinois game wins, a guy who hasn't played this year says, best decision of my life. And I think that's their priority. And I think that's why they talk about guys like Deacon in, the, in that way, even if there's struggles on the field. Like, that's their priority. Is we that makes just, sense. We want to make a great program where you feel loved and you can come back anytime and still feel part of it. Now, the people that want to win games again – they're going to maybe struggle with that, especially in the moment. It's not only win games, they're nothing. You be competitive, yeah, for sure. No, their their program is using that we're an elite football school. Their Twitter, that's what their persona is, and they're asking fans to donate thousands of dollars. Not only that, and to pay the players. So, like, I think balancing. Obviously, you want to have good people. Sure. Balancing that with, all right, well now. You get paid millions of dollars. We're paying thousands of dollars. I'm not, but fans are through the two different collectives. Like, it's good to say this is college sports, but it's really a business. Mm-hmm. More and more every day. So, I mean, it's yeah. Where, where does the line draw from? Like, hey, it's just college sports. Amateur, What's well, not amateur anymore? But it is college sports too. People are. That's why they're mad. Is they're like we're. It's hitting their pocketbooks more yeah. and more. Yeah. You know, we we you know you bring up Robert Gallery and you look at a team not specifically the team from 20 years ago, but just in general, 20 years down the road, how much does a player or the fans or the coaches or whoever remember that Deacon Hill was an ineffective quarterback all season or the amount of points as they score on offense? Are, are they actually remembering just the 10 wins or just the the friends we made along the way, as, yeah. as we like to say? I, I don't know the answer to that um, because maybe people will still be talking about this offense in 20 years. It's like, wow, that was a bad team. But I don't know. The, the, the thing that you also have to consider, though, comparing Robert Gallery to now, is that like the game has changed so much in the last 20 years, and, and we can't just get by sometimes with saying, like, well, this is a good program, a good place for people to be and get an education. Like, that's nice if that was still the way the college football worked, but with the amount of money getting thrown around out there, if you want to keep winning football games, you have to treat it more and more like a business because that's what it's turned into. Sure. I, the, the thing I keep thinking on... One of the, the great what-ifs in the history of Hawkeye football, certainly in the last 15, 20 years, is what if Stanzi doesn't go down against Northwestern and the potential of that 9 team? They probably go 12-0, and and they probably played, at the very least, they play in a Rose Bowl against that Oregon team that was really good that Ohio State played against, or maybe they get Bama or Texas in the national title game. So there's always what-ifs there. But because Stanzi went down, Iowa goes to the Orange Bowl, gets a major bowl win, the first one they've had in decades, and Chris Myers asked Stanzi from middle America, what's it like to represent that group of American people? And Ricky Stanzi becomes a folk hero because he hears that and just 
here's the Team America World Police song. Um, and, and people talk about it. That's why he's on the, he was the intro video this year, saying if you don't love it, leave it. He, be, he becomes that, and you get that moment because he got hurt. There's some positive or some sort of like light that comes out of every struggle. In 2023, Iowa has a historically bad offense, and it allows Tory Taylor, who was already beloved, to win a Ray Guy Award, set an NCAA single-season record, and be, the, gets the biggest cheer in the crowd, gets Aussie chants all the time, and has this life change. He will make millions of dollars for the next decade because he played on a team that struggled on offense. <laughs> and, and again, he's well-known now, and Reese gets to come in and have a college education because of this guy. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a beautiful, there's beauty in that struggle because Iowa now become punting is winning is a slogan. And I know people, <laughs> you know, would you trade that for a Big Ten championship? Yes. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what a cool storyline is that Iowa gets to celebrate this incredible story about a kid who his dad basically told him, you don't want to be the guy at the pub in 25 years wondering what if he comes to Iowa and because he comes to Iowa in this age becomes a legend and gets his face on the wall, gets a national award. And we will talk about in 20 years, what are we going to talk about? Boy, that offensive stuff. Tory, do you remember Tory against Wisconsin just <laughs> booming those? Like that's the kind of stuff I feel like fans, they'll roll their eyes at how bad the offense was, but they'll remember stories like that of, of Cooper against Minnesota, yeah. or they'll remember Tory, or they'll remember Jay, even though we don't have a ton of video evidence of Jay's 171 tackles because they're all just yeah. business-like. That's the stuff people will hold on. Each to. time I post either a store, one of my highlight reads on either Facebook or on YouTube from the game afterwards, there's people, mostly from me opposing fan bases, like rolling their eyes at me for like, oh, wow, let's hype up the punter. OMG, how Damn hysterical. Right, we're going to hype up the punter. <laughs> I'm like, have you been to Iowa? Like, these guys want the punting highlights. Um, I was walking around the stadium before because one of my friends lives um, near Orlando, uh, and there were Tennessee fans laughing about someone, like, punching his wounding, <laughs> like, just scoffing at it. Like, what a ridiculous... <laughs> fight him, Mike? You defend our honor? <laughs> yeah, I punched him right in the face. Yeah. All right, well... Dade like Co- a true Australian. Dade word. County authorities are looking for... So, oh, that's Miami, I guess. So, I... Let's get into this because I teased it. The the trivia question for you guys. Oh yeah. All right. I don't have any graphics for it, but um, since Iowa ended the season with two shutouts, which never want to do, but obviously Michigan Big Ten title game and the Citrus Bowl. When was the last time Iowa got shut out in two consecutive games? Hmm. What year? Gosh, because that Penn State shutout was like their first in in a while since two thousand or ninety nine. Yeah, since maybe ninety nine. I think would it be like ninety six or ninety seven? Further back. Wow. Is it in the 90s? No. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Mid-70s. 81? Before mid-70s. What? <laughs> Were our parents alive? <laughs> <laughs> my parent, my mom was. Uh, and my dad. 71. I'm going to say 58, 59. 66. Huh. They got wow. shut out three weeks in a row. 7 nothing against Wisconsin week three. 35 nothing against Purdue. And 17 nothing against Minnesota. They also ended the season at Miami and lost 44 to zero. So four shutouts. Those are bad teams back in the sixties. Yeah. Last, my, boy, yeah. Miami in the sixties. I saw the beginning of the year. <laughs> <laughs> the last Man. time they lost, they had two shutouts in a single season before this year was 1978 when they lost in week two against Iowa state 31 to zero and Michigan 34 to zero in week wow. eight. So it's been a the last long time. They had two shutouts in a single season. In a single, at least according to Wikipedia, which is my source. That's, That's pretty incredible. <laughs> good good fact-finding. That, that is, is an really incredible good, yeah. stat. Wow. Yeah. 
I thought I was good for that bowl game stat that I had about first shutout in a bowl game since, what was it, the 81 Rose Bowl, I think? Something yeah. Like that, yeah. Man, that's, that's good data. The tough tough um, uh, notes to end and the, the I, football pod. So the positive is, I mean, if you can think of positive, those teams won like two or three games. Like, Iowa won 10 that games, the, and they, lo- they got shut out three times. Yeah. The Iowa's down stretch here in the last three years where the offensive just kept going, kept going, kept going. Yeah. 10 and 4, 8 and 5, 10 and 4. So, somebody two division t- titles. Somebody tweeted afterwards, uh, the 2023 Hawkeye football season has been a sociology experience out of the Har- <laughs> Harvard University. Thank you for your input. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I spent a few games in the stands, and it was like the entire game, uh, 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 and at the end, we're all celebrating because the Hawkeyes won. <laughs> it's like... It truly is. It's just, it was one of the most bizarre seasons. And I think if you're, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just, I had a couple of things before we close out the show. You can finish your point. If I was, you I was, I'm, I'm grading it. Obviously the offense gets a, a fat F because they're the, they were, <laughs> you know, statistically the worst. Uh-huh. The, the defense has to have an A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think overall you give them like a B minus, C plus, something I like that. I was leaning B minus. I feel like defense is A. I almost, again, maybe optimist and, not wanting to fail anybody, like offense kind of incomplete just because you lose Cade so early and then you lose Luke or you lose Luke before that. Then you lose Eric. Offensive lines beat up. Caleb Johnson goes from not playing a snap at regularly to winning the West and, and those and the running back room was so beat up and the wide receivers were all, you know, Deontay That's was fair. hurt and all that. So I kind of lean incomplete just because, again, in a season of what ifs, you wonder, boy, what if Cade just doesn't even hurt that quad at practice and he goes into the season healthy and there's just so much stuff. And then obviously special teams gets an A, I would say. But yeah, B minus felt like felt yeah. like the way to go. It's tough to give a C plus to a 10 win team. You know what I mean? That is true. Like, That's why I'd say, yeah, in the B level. I'd almost be he- oh boy. It's well, it's <laughs> tough overall to give. I was gonna like maybe push back just a bit on giving special teams an A just because kicking was a bit suspect at times this year. I mean, Drew Stevens even before he got yanked in the Nebraska game, he had his struggles from the kicking games. But so then they had two games that they walk off with kicks. You know what I mean? Or I know. Yeah. It's so, so tough. I'd say that <laughs> overall special teams is closer to a B plus, A minus territory just because the kicking had, you know, was not was not a work of art at times this season. But overall, yeah, I think the team gets a, gets a solid B minus in, in my book just because of how bad the offense was. Um, you know, the, the defense can only pull up that grade so much. Um, a couple of the points I wanted to make first off was, number one, <laughs> I mean, good for Marco Linus that he gets to go into this offseason being like the Iowa hero that he's everybody's Joey talking Labus about. Joey 2024, yeah. He's, he's Alex Padilla for so much sure, of the Spencer yeah. Petras era um, that he's the guy that's like, oh, man, yeah, we got to see more of Marco. I just want to encourage people to cool it a little bit with the Marco talk. Um, as much as he did look good on a lot of those runs, um, I don't want to totally sell out and say, yeah, he should have been starting in front of Deacon because it's like, I mean, Marco, I think maybe had one completed pass in that game. He was game. two of seven for four yards. Yeah. He missed Kamari on a really easy so screen. Just think for a second about like, yes, he had more um, maybe mobility, more scrambling possibilities there. But what if he was less accurate than Deacon? What if he threw more interceptions than Deacon if you put him in some of those games? Those are games that we could have lost if there are maybe one or two more interceptions. So we just don't know what Marco is as a quarterback yet, and we won't know until we see a few more snaps out of him. So, you know, as much as like, yes, it'd be fun to maybe see a little bit more of him, we still don't quite know what he is as a passer. We know what he has as a runner. He's got great yeah. mobility, obviously, but we don't 
know quite yet what he is. I think the the inverse to that is if K does go down again, you know, just I'm not not predicting it or anything, but just like if say he he can't get healthy or he's having trouble with his legs. Uh-huh. I want to see Marco in that role because I already 100%. know what Deacon Hill gives you. Yes. And it's, unfortunately, it's interceptions and fumbles. And in this offense, you can't turn the ball over. Maybe this, Marco does the same thing, though. Yeah. This but, was not an endorsement for Deacon, by the way. Much as I love the guy, that was not me saying, like, it's got to still be sure. Deacon. That's just me saying, like, don't give this guy the Heisman yet. <laughs> yeah, we, we still don't know quite what he is. I will say you couldn't have asked for a better response from Deacon after the, the intercept. I went into that game thinking, like, I would love to see Nico get a touchdown. His final game mm-hmm. sputters out like that and interception. On four straight third downs, Deacon hit his guys in the hands, mm-hmm. and they dropped it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that was, a. I think it was Michigan State when he first got thrown in there. There were a ton of drops. Um, just to your point, don't get too high or too low about watching Marco scramble like crazy and and – be very effective in that. Also, don't overreact to like looking at. Just don't don't let stat lines tell you everything. Obviously, sometimes they do tell the whole story. I.e., I was total offense and things like that. But like, Deacon responded about as good as you can. Just there were some drops. Yeah. Obviously, I mean the pocket security and and the fumbles are and, are brutal. But Marco Marco flashed, and there's the truth is somewhere in the middle. And I think what they do with QB two going forward is somewhere in the middle because I mean, both have shown. I mean, Deacon's a steady. A steady hand and, and a good leader, even if he is a little turnover prone. He's a likable guy. And Marco clearly has some playmaking ability. The, the, I just saw one guy on Twitter, at least, he was making a case that, like, Marco should be QB1 to start next season. Okay, guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. That's what you were... Okay, yeah, now yeah. I agree with you. I mean, that was he, my he biggest takeaway from the yeah, study. Have, he, he was like, hey, Cade's banged up. He's not going to be what he seems to be. We should sell out on Marco as, as, like, the guy moving forward, which I was like, all right, that's... Uh, certainly an opinion, but that's uh, a take. <laughs> what I was gonna say was I, you gotta. Deacon was not supposed to be here, and I feel bad for the kid because he is seems like an awesome dude. But um, you know, coming in, he was his other offer was like Fordham. He was gonna go to Fordham. Yeah, yeah and he's the starting quarterback for a Big Ten school for majority of the season. Mm-hmm. He's been in a tough position for you know for his progression in his college career. So I feel bad for him, uh, especially. When, like you said, the drops all season were an issue. And if some of those third downs were completed, I think it's not as bad against Tennessee, like the score line. It changes a lot. Yeah. I mean, the one was to Caleb on where it was like a third and 20. And I think they'd either taken a penalty or he'd taken a sack. But at least would have, again, in a field position game, you're a little closer and just it's what ifs. The whole, the whole season is built on a foundation of what if. My other uh, kind of bold prediction slash a uh, regular prediction that I wanted to ask you guys about uh, after you mentioned Stansy, I thought about this. I have an opinion. Who do you think is the hype video guy next year? <laughs> Ooh, I've got I've got strong gallery vibes. I feel like he's he's been around the campus a few times this year, mostly with the Hall of Fame stuff, getting his name on the Ring of Honor. I'm like, seems like gallery could be that guy in the hype video next. Talking, year. I'd say Dallas Clark plays on the sideline for every game. <laughs> He's got nothing to do, it seems. Yeah, you can't have the guy on the hype video be the guy who's standing near where the hype videos play. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like Laporta. He's like, hmm. uh, I think last night they, they said he had the most receiving touchdowns from a, tight, a rookie tight end. Receptions, for sure. Um, three t- receptions. Other than like Mike Ditka and then one other guy that I'm now blanking Ditka on. Gronk. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. So like that's just insane. It's been so fun being somebody who has still a lot of Michigan connections. To see them love Laporta the way they have and love Jack, like 
and then have the season they're having on top of it. Like that's been super, super cool. I know you're a Packer fan, but I bet there's party. Yeah. Like, I don't hate the Lions. I know Lions <laughs> fans hate Packers, but I grew up with Vikings and Bears and I didn't know any Lions fans. So the Lions were kind of the outlier. I'm actually rooting yeah. for them in the NFC because I, I, other than the Packers, I'm just assuming the Packers won't make it. If they make it past this week, they will lose next week in San Fran. There you but, go. Yeah. Um, yeah, go Lions. If the Packers lose. <laughs> Man, I'm trying to think. Who would be great? Because Kittle's already done a... I was going to say, Kittle board. did it two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why I was thinking Laporta, just get another tight end. Did Anger do one? I, Pat Anger did one, I feel like. I don't he might not have been that. on cam, but he's done. He's done voiceovers for them. Then he just he just did the uh, pre Big Ten championship one, I think. I, I it was at Lucas Oil. I don't have a frame of reference for even who's done one pre. Well, these are Kittle. fairly new still. Adrian really. Claiborne would be a good one. Claiborne would be he's good. Very recognizable, and he just wrapped up in NFL. Just bring career. back Joe Evans. I mean, he's been your hype man, right? <laughs> like, would love to see that. I'm like trying to think. Of the, yeah, I'm just trying to think of the dudes who are always like fiery mm. on the sidelines and did stuff. Mitch King. Mitch King would be, oh man, Mitch King. If he, he's got to grow back the hair though. You got to have yeah. the long golden locks going. That'd be fun. Whoever it is, it'll be great. I think we'll be back in. I think I checked. I'm guessing spring practice, open spring practice will be April 13th. I think that's the second Saturday in April. So I'd imagine that'll be it. Uh, and that's when we'll, around that time, start diving back into football stuff, I imagine. Uh, Eye on the Hawks is going to, you guys are going to be doing some basketball stuff still, I believe, right? Yeah, we're going to do one this week. I think we settled on a Wednesday. Not this Wednesday, though, because I'll be getting ready for the caucuses. Yeah. Um, I need oh, to work on that. I forgot to talk about the caucuses. So uh, we still have next like episode. Half, we still have an hour and a half of caucus stuff to go into. Um, so if you guys could just sit tight for us. Eye um, on the caucuses. Man. <laughs> I'm so excited to start saying on shows tonight, one week until the Iowa caucuses, because I've been saying seven and six and five. So there we go. So... Eye on the Hawks will continue. Of course, keep following on uh, social media, the YouTube channel for the streams and whatnot. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep everything going here with everything black and gold. Maybe we'll get into some more basketball stuff uh, as we get going there. These guys will certainly. I'll jump back in as needed. And uh, it's been a fun ride. We've laid a good foundation in 23 as we get into 24. So thanks, everybody, for watching and supporting. See you next time on Eye on the Hawks.